Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck, and I'm joined here with my daughter, Paige Baumert, and even little Clara Baumert might make an appearance this time, right, Paige? Yep, pretty much. She decided she wanted to do it with us. (laughs) Gotta love that girl. Gotta love it. Clara is almost 18 months old and she is a bundle of joy and of activity. And so trying to find the time to do the podcast when Clara is not going to be part of them can be a trick sometimes. Okay, today, Paige, we are talking about creating a heart-changing home environment. I think that's what everybody wants, really. They want to know that the hearts are going to be changing in the family, not just the behaviors. And truly, the teaching self-government parenting system is all about heart change, not just behavior change. Although if you have one, you can get the other. So both heart change and behavior change do lead to each other. Some people change from the inside out, meaning starting with the heart, and some people change from the outside in. So starting with the behavior. We're going to be talking about how that happens. We're going to be talking about some key things, six key things that you can do in order to change your home environment or your family environment so that it's a heart-changing environment. But first, as is tradition here on the Teaching Self-Government podcast, we have a fun family activity for you. Paige, what's the fun family activity that we have today? Oh, it's such a good one. Let me just tell you. So the fun family activity for today is to do an an at-home homemade spa night. So I remember one time we got together with some friends and we made homemade buttermilk foot soaking baths and homemade like brown sugar scrubs. And we did face masks. And I mean, if you're into it, you can paint your nails. I don't really paint my nails, but you know. Anyway, but just do like a super fun spa night. Clay masks, you know, do fun things with your hair, just all the skincare stuff. It's, it's honestly really relaxing and it's really fun to look up homemade recipes for stuff like that too. Yeah. And it's not something the guys usually get into, but they kind of think it's fun to do once in a while. It's like, oh, okay. I'll do, I'll do spa night. I mean, I know that dad, he loves doing a charcoal mask. Whenever I show up with one, he's like, oh yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) I know. Well, and the little hand masks and stuff like that, that sometimes people do. Yeah. He loves that. And then he starts getting into, okay, now let's pluck every unsightly hair I have in my whole body. Anyway. And it's like, oh dear, let's not get to that. That could take us. And that's a whole journey in and of itself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That could take us forever. Okay, great. Well, we are looking through the lens of self-government. It's important for people to understand what self-government is. So Paige, tell us, what is the definition of self-government? Yes. So self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. Yes. 
So that means that a person deliberately decides how they want to think, how they want to behave, how they want to interact with other people. They do it on purpose. They don't just go, well, I mean, if it happens, it happens. If we have good relationship, we do. If not, oh, well, I'll move on to somebody else. No, they value the people around them enough to put in the effort on their side too. So I've got to say, Paige, that actually this world has a heart problem right now. We are so consumed with acceptance right now of other people, but we are actually lacking in real heart change. So I was just at United Nations at the Commission on the Status of Women, and we did a presentation there uh, with the Worldwide Organization for Women, which I head. And we also, you know, listened to lots of different presentations. And what I saw was that people could feel compassion. They could feel empathy for somebody's story. But when it comes down to what they want or what they think other people need, there's this feeling of entitlement that then creates strategy, war. I was sitting in one meeting and one of the speakers, it wasn't my event, but but I was happy that um, the the ambassadors for Egypt, Belarus, and Qatar were actually saying, listen, children need to turn to their families. They need to work on good bonds there. And there was a professor. Yeah, it was good for them. I was so happy. And there was a professor there who was talking about the importance of the hearts of the children to turn toward their family members and toward toward the parents. So, you know, there actually is a part in the Bible that says that the hearts of the children need to turn toward their fathers, right? And we know that the hearts of the parents need to turn toward their children. I mean, this is something that creates harmony for the world and really the hearts need to turn. But what I saw in there was people started yelling at this professor who teaches marriage and family and stuff like that. I mean, that's kind of his whole PhD. That's what he's into. And they started yelling at him and saying, you know, saying, how can this be? Because there are some people that are abused by their families and this is wrong and we can't trust parents. And, you know, this kind of thing, they were getting very, very angry. Mm-hmm. And, and it, they started going to war over the difference of, of opinion here because, you know, and I thought to myself instantly, oh, one of these people yelling maybe has had a bad experience with their parents, or they've had a friend who's had a bad experience or something, because not every parent is perfect. They could be abusers. That could happen. But by and large, parents actually do care more about their children than any other person on the planet. I mean, other people just want to use the children for things, agenda things and whatever, and make them a good little citizen. But the parents care usually about the whole person more than anybody else would, you know, by and large. And so to remove them from the conversation was just so sad. When I see where they're coming from too, it's like, well, okay, yeah, we get no parents are perfect and there have been bad experiences. So why would we want to do towards parents? But you also got to think at the United Nations, they're trying to look at the overall like those for the family and against the family, they're looking at the overall um, situation. So a lot of times they'll take a few specific instances and apply it to the general populace. And you're like, well, that's not always the case. And Mm -hmm. it's been, I mean, it's been shown that when families are strong and when children are 
integrated into their family and have loving relationships and solid relationships, then family life is so much better. And yeah, uh, children come out a lot more well-developed too. Yeah, they're happier. Even if their family wasn't perfect, if the family is dedicated to being connected and integrating with each other, they're happier. So it is true. And really on, on the side that is promoting the the healings of the family, the healing of families, the healing of homes, and bringing people in the family together in unity, that side of things definitely is trying to have a bigger picture view, even though um, obviously we are all aware that no family is perfect. Well, anyway, so here we go. That's where we're at in our world. But the beautiful news is that if one heart changes in a family, then that ripples out and the family's hearts can have a change. And if that one family change, if those hearts turn toward each other, then the whole society around them changes. Their churches change, their nation changes. Everything could change all because one person decides to have a change of heart. So let's talk about our bodies then just a little bit and about our changes of heart. So C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Abolition of Man, and he wrote this long time ago, kind of like post-World War II, right around that time period. And he said that at that time, the world was endangered of being taken over by men without chests. And there's this whole chapter chapter in there called Men Without Chests. And what he meant was men without heart, okay? Hmm. And he said that we all have three parts that make us. We have our body, which does all of our emotions and our sensations and feelings and all that kind of stuff is our body voice, okay? Like, I feel hungry. I feel cold. I feel frustrated. I feel, this is our body voices, okay? And then- Then there's the mind voice. This is the voice that does all of the rationale for whatever other voices might be speaking there too. But also you can appeal to the mind voice. If you just go straight logic, you might be able to get into a person and just use straight logic as well. So there's also that voice. Um, And people are trying to appeal to these voices all the time, whether the body voice, the mind voice, or the heart voice, which he calls the chest voice. Some people might call it the spirit each person. So I was raised with the understanding that each person has a spirit, right? That we all have body, but we also all have spirit as part of our souls of who we are. And that that spiritual side of us, that spirit component to who we are is actually the greatest strength in who we are. Well, clearly C.S. Lewis felt the same because he really made this case in the abolition of man for this concept that either the heart could lead, the body could lead, or the mind could lead. But most of the time it's the heart against the mind and the body. Like the mind and the body want what's convenient, what feels nice, but the heart keys into that's the will of the person. And that keys into like duty, obligation, you know, truth, honor, you know, all those kinds of things that are hard to live up to, right? So those and that are growing more and more non-existent these days. Yeah, they're becoming subjective. People are like, well, whatever's true for you, you know. Yeah, exactly. 
So anyway, um, so he said that really the only way to have peace and freedom is if the heart voice leads out. And so if every person's heart voice is healthy and is leading out, so the will of the person understands what's right and wrong, good and bad, true and false, and they will the body and the mind to only hold on to what is good, right, and true and push them in that direction, then we will have freedom. Now, isn't that what every parent wants every parent wants for their child to know good right and true i think initially yes they just don't under they don't always understand what it takes to get there yeah you're right because we get caught up in what everybody else just does around us sometimes right we don't know what we don't know and suddenly we're pushing a social norm instead of a true principle and that can happen to a lot of people so well, I, I mean to... i look at me oh sorry go ahead no go ahead a little thought but i was just looking at me as a parent you know i've been a parent for 18 and a half or not 17 and a bit months almost 18 months <laughs> and i look at me and i'm like i i'm intentionally deciding to be a deliberate intentional parent right but even then i still get caught up with oh man you know how nice would it be to just put a movie on and go take a nap, you know, have, have mm. a movie on for my baby, but I'm, you know, I've already decided that I'm not going to do that for my children, you know, that we're not going to have a constant TV presence in the home. And, but I'm like, oh, so many people do it. And so many moms can have a nap or a shower. <laughs> shower, <laughs> the luxury of hygiene. I know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but you know, but then I think, you know, the, the damage that it does later on, I don't want to have to deal with that. And I don't want to yeah. have that yeah. happen. Oh, hi, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's super smart. And truly, it does take a deliberate action to do that. You have to decide with your heart what is best, what is right, what is good, what is the principle for my child. And then you have to will yourself to do it if you're really going to follow through. Because there's just um, laziness. It's not in the cards, right? When a person has a soft, really well-directed heart. We're going to talk about the difference between soft and hard hearts, but I just want to make sure that everybody understands what it means to train something. So we're going to be talking about training hearts in this podcast. And I just wanted to make sure that we're on the same page with training. So there are a lot of definitions of training. And maybe you think, well, this is a pretty simple word, Nicolay, and everybody knows what it means. But when I looked up the word in the Greek lexicon a number of years ago, I've really gained some insight. So the word train in the Greek lexicon actually means to strangle and to inaugurate. And so what that means is that you give boundaries or parameters to something, and then you push them forward with a big picture. You prepare them for a future inauguration, right? Something that they're going toward a type of person that they're going to become. So there, there's this big picture of where everybody's headed. And then there's, and then there's the details of making sure that you maintain those boundaries and that teaching that needs to happen. So that's what it really means to do some training. And I want to talk about training a heart. So relationships are a heart business. Okay. They just are, um, if you're really going to feel connected or attached to somebody, then there is a feeling of, of that connection that obligation to that person, that loyalty to that person, you value that person. So you see an intrinsic value. It's not just what I get out of that person or what that person does for me to make me happy. But it's like, even if that person were in a bed and never did anything for me again, I would still have value out of knowing them. I could even value caring for them. 
and not getting anything physical for them from them anymore. That's when you really truly have a deep relationship with the person and you really care, right? So when you have a good relationship with the person, this is also an identity thing. You understand who they are, who you are, and who you are together in this relationship that you have. It does require a bit of a big picture or a vision of where you think that you are going in that relationship with each other. So I highly recommend in the teaching self-government parenting structure that a family does create a family vision. We're not going to talk about how to do that in this particular training, but you can find that in the TSG parenting course and in my book, Parenting a House United. I talk extensively about how to create a great family vision so that you can get your family on track with their relationships. Um, But here's the thing is that if our hearts aren't connected, if they're not knit together in some way, then Our relationships feel empty, hollow. We can feel lonely even when we're around other people. Even when we have family members, we can feel lonely. And that's not where we want anyone to feel, or that's not how we want anyone to feel. We want people in our families to feel like this is the place where you can be yourself, be understood, communicate, help get your problems solved, learn things, you know, but there has to be, has to be a thing where there's mutual respect, understanding, humbleness, all these kinds of things. So let's talk about um, soft hearts versus hard hearts. Okay. So I took in foster children for a number of years and some of them were soft hearted, but most of them were hard hearted. Okay. At the beginning. And we had to work on the heart. And how did I know the difference? How can you tell the difference if a person is soft-hearted or if they're hard-hearted? Well, you just know you're not getting through. You're like, okay, I'm trying to talk to you about something, but I'm not getting through. Or when I am trying to tell you something, you are getting angry about it. You're taking it personal. You know, so what does hard, hard, hard heartedness look like? Because I think we need to know what is soft heartedness? What is hard heartedness? What does it look like? How does it affect the relationships? Because, because the condition of your heart can either be a balm for your family in your home, or it can be a cancer in your relationships and it can be ruining. Oh, sure. things. Yeah. yeah so-, so I know for me, what I've experienced when it comes to hard heartedness, um, in fact, <laughs> I've experienced it analyzing myself being hard-hearted sometimes, but, um, it's, I, I will not talk openly with each other and anyone who knows me knows I'm a very chatty person and I love talking about things and, you know, being open and energetic. But when I, you know, sometimes choose to take something personally, um, I tend to close off and my husband knows he's like, if, if I ever am not talking or I give very short answers, then I'm upset. Mm-hmm. And I don't talk openly. You can, you're going to tell your stories too. I love it. <laughs> Cla- she, Clara very rarely has a soft, uh, very rarely has a hard heart. She's just yes, like a little soft hearted yes. little thing. Wants to participate all the time and be very open with her communications, even when it's not the time. So there we go. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so you're right. Not talking openly. That's probably one of the biggest ones. Okay. Or if a person is selfish, well, what about me? Well, what about me? Well, you did that to me. Well, that happened to me. Well, I felt that. Well, I, if everything is I, 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 
then we also know there is not any effort right now for this person to reach my heart or anybody else's heart. They are literally at a totally selfish place, you know, and maybe even buying false realities, selling themselves false realities, even because they want to disconnect. So there's this feeling of disconnection when a person is having a hard heartedness problem. Many people who are in a hard-hearted condition, um, they don't want to be corrected for something. They don't want to accept any responsibility for their own actions. They don't want to hear about it. They're offended if you even bring it up and they are going to counter it. It is. Yeah, it is. In fact, they think their problems should be private, even though that they did them to you or to somebody else. So this is a very common thing um, that can happen. Another thing that happens with people who have a hard heart is they oftentimes tell themselves lies and other people lies. So there's a dishonesty there because there's a general lack of trust for the other person. And this is because they're playing strategies. They're doing manipulations. They're trying to, you know, through stratagem, move people how they want to, so that they can get what they want. So back to that selfishness thing that's happening. So Anyway, oftentimes they think the worst of a person, they villainize other people and they take offense. And so what does all of this do to the relationships then? If you're hard hearted, how does it affect your relationship? Well, your relationship is how you see another person. Mm -hmm. And so if you're the hard hearted one, you, the way you are viewing everyone around you is oftentimes simply not true. It's through the wrong lens. And it's all negative. And oftentimes you see everyone as, oh, they're trying to attack me or, or they're trying to do me wrong. They're, you know, there's, there's no warmth and love from other people. They're out to get me. Mm -hmm. So everybody then is a bad guy. You're a victim and everybody else is an <laughs> oppressor. Yeah. Very interesting. So I was in a, an elevator the other day in New York city and we, we're just happening to talk, be talking in about an event with somebody. And I said, oh, hey, you know, you should come to this event that we're doing. I'm going to be speaking about mental health and family stuff. And, and wow, Africa is going to be speaking about things from this African perspective and what they need with infrastructure and stuff like that. And this lady looked at me and she's like, I'm not African. I'm from England. Were you even anyway, talking to her directly? I was. I, we oh, were okay, talking because okay. I was inviting her to come. That's right. Anyway, and she, because I was like, you should come, you know, and, <laughs> and she just suddenly started yelling at me, stormed off. And I thought it was so amazing. I thought, okay, so <laughs> she had, she had black skin, but that didn't mean that I even assumed she was African. No. I was just telling her about the event. I thought she would like to hear the details about it. And, and I wanted to invite her to come and she just instantly became so mad. She was so defensive. And maybe she actually got defensive when I mentioned family. Maybe she didn't like family events or there was something else. I, I don't know. But it was interesting because I thought she ruined that the relationship from her side. Despite anything I did, she had decided that if anyone says the word African, they're assuming she's an African and that is going to be offensive to her. So she had a hard heart about hearing that word and she Im immediately jumped to conclusions about it. And, you know, we have a society right now that is promoting that, that we're promoting that there are all these things called microaggressions, you know, 
I mean, I, I was well, actually people it, assume the worst all the time. I mean, you see different groups of people and they're like, oh, if you say this, this is automatically what you're saying. Right. And that's just what like, I'm going to actually know attack. Yeah. So, OK, like, so here's. No. Yeah. So here's, so actually people are shutting each other's down. That's the sign of hard heartedness too. Okay. When you're shutting each other down, limits, connections, ruins your relationships, makes it that you can't actually be understood because now people are suffering the trauma of being shut down by you. So now you don't actually come together. You push a divide and you push people apart. So promoting this victim and oppressor culture, which intersectionality promotes in our society is not really good at all. In fact, I was thinking about microaggressions when I was at the United Nations, not that I spend any time worrying about them, but I thought here we are on this global stage and, and I haven't been here for a few years because of COVID. And so what are people doing about the new little, you know, thing of microaggressions at the UN when people are from every other country? Cause I thought, do I actually ask people where they're from? Cause I used to do this all the time. Where are you from? Where are you from? And they come up to me and say, where are you from? Because you're at the United Nations and there's people from all over the world, you know? So I didn't say to the woman, where are you from? You know, just immediately, which I then realized, I guess I better always do that. And I do I have to assume that I but at the same time, I didn't assume she was African. You know, I'm like, she could have been from the Caribbean. She could have been from Florida. She could have been from California. She could have been from anywhere. She could have been from Alaska, you know, because like, seriously, that doesn't matter anyway. So. um, So but I, I actually was hesitant. And then finally I thought, no, you know what? I'm not playing that game because how are we ever going to have relationships on a global sphere like this? If I'm going to be worried, if somebody gets offended, if I ask them where they're from, I've got to learn to know, I got to get to know them. Otherwise there's no chance in us ever seeing eye to eye on anything. Right. Because it starts with that. Okay. So let's talk about soft heartedness. Then what does soft heartedness looks like, look like? Cause this is our goal. When a person is soft-hearted, they're teachable and they're humble. Oh, for sure. They'll listen so to actually, you. I have a really good example of that. Um, I sing in a chorus, a barbershop women's chorus, and I love it. It's so fun. But um, we recently had two members of the chorus who, um, one, she is an all-women's. She was not teachable at all. And she actually thought that she was always right. Uh, whether it came to notes or anything like that. And she just drove everyone crazy. And because she's like, well, this is what it is. And this is what it sounds like. And the poor director, she's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this woman is taking over a chorus. Anyway, but then we contrasted it to uh, another member of the chorus and she's a newer member, but um, she is so humble. And she's like, okay, hey, I know I'm singing something flat. Please tell me if I'm singing flat or whatever it is. And she is, she's like, Kate, tell me when I'm wrong. Tell me what to do here. You know, I'm, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to be better and become better. So I can, you know, have, make a good impact in this chorus because we're mm-hmm. a small chorus. So every voice counts, right? Mm-hmm. And any, every voice can also be heard. <laughs> and so, but it was just so interesting to contrast those two personalities. Yeah. And to see, wow, you know, these two different people, maybe based on their life experience or whatever, but one is just so teachable and humble. And she openly says, Hey, tell me when I'm wrong. You know, I want to be able to be corrected so I can do better and be better to help yeah. the group where the other one's like, no, I am not wrong. I will never be wrong. And what you guys are doing are wrong. 
Yeah. So there's a gift of humility. Some people just have it as a natural, like spiritual gift. And then there's other people who have to really learn it. They have to go searching for it. They have more of a control tendency and it's harder for them to be humble. And so it can take some practice, definitely can take some practice. So when a person is soft-hearted, they're teachable. They're That means they could be corrected. That means they can be instructed and they'll accept it. And they know who they are. You know, that's a really big thing. They know who they are. They know who you are. And they're willing to accept the relationship of you guys working together. They're usually honest. They're loving. They'll take whatever time is necessary on the relationship or other things that they're working on. They think of other people, not just themselves. And here's the big one. They have open communication. So when a person possesses these things, when they are soft hearted, then what does that do to our relationships? When a person is soft hearted, it actually pulls them toward other people because the focus is not on themselves getting something from somebody else, but it's what, what can I give to this other person? What can I, what can I learn from this other person? What can I share with this other person that they might care about or it might be meaningful? How can I help them? So suddenly that divide that's between the people ends up breaking down and they can come together. And so, you know, this, these, this is any relationship, soft-hearted, hard-hearted affects any relationship. Well, so I think, we- sorry, I have one more thought about being soft-hearted. Yeah. So, um, one thing that soft-hearted people also understand is they understand, recognize and respect roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas hard-hearted people, they go, well, I'm the leading authority in my mind. So this is what's going to happen. I don't care who's technically in charge. I'm just going to take over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They so don't value. Understand. Yeah. They understand. Okay. Well, we have a clear leader here, you know, or say it's just, okay, well, we have our mother and or father who are, you know, in charge and, mm-hmm. and we're the learners. So they understand, recognize and respect roles. Well, so let's talk in the husband and wife relationship, because really this applies to everybody, right? The soft-hearted, hard-hearted thing and understanding roles. But let's let's talk about in our husband and wife relationship. You know, what if one person in that relationship is constantly shutting the other person down or controlling the other person or, you know, emotionally manipulating the other person or, you know, whatever happens to, to happen there. And the roles are not honored in that husband and wife relationship because the, in that relationship, we're pulling together as a team, right? We're equally yoked, sure. pulling together. We have separate things that we do and that the children rely upon us for, yet we are a team. It's not like one person dragging another horse behind. Those two are working together, which means it has to be honored. And if that is not honored, if one starts kicking the other one all the time, you know, then suddenly everything they're pulling falls apart. Like that is the power of that soft heartedness. And so when you value that other person, you're able to not just lift the other person and yourself, but you lift everybody else around you that you are working with. This is very powerful. This is one of those powers that change the world type thing. So in for most people, when they're going to have a relationship with someone, whether it's romantic, a friend relationship, family relationship, connection is actually the top priority. 
in any relationship, right? If you're going to work for somebody, the the employer-employee relationship, they've got to have a decent connection. Otherwise, everything falls apart underneath them. So the business doesn't happen. So that's why they got to have business meetings. They got to have talks with whoever they're working with that that's part of their part of their business. And the same thing goes for a family, the same thing goes for a marriage or anybody. So we have to figure out a way then to maintain that connection. And if there is someone in the relationship who's struggling with the connection, maybe they keep kicking that other horse that they're supposed to be pulling with, or they don't want to pull whatsoever because they're lazy or, you know, whatever it is, then what do you do about that? You know, we've got to figure that out too. So let's talk about what prevents a change of heart. Okay. So when, when we were looking at what hard heartedness looks like the root, okay. Of, of this hard hearted behavior that we were discussing are things like pride. Okay. Pride brings about hard heartedness. So when you start Yeah. When you start judging other people, assuming things about other people, um, making excuses, you know, for yourself. And again, back to that, not being honest thing. This is a, that's all pride stuff that comes in and it inflates our ego and makes us want to attack other people. So that's a, that's one thing that prevents a change of heart. Another thing I think, um, like you mentioned was people are oftentimes just negative. Like they just see the world through this negative obsessive. Well, yeah. In my little little scenario that I shared, um, the one, the first woman, she was always negative and she was always worried about, um, she's like, well, this makes me feel like this, you know, this, that, and the other. And, but she also didn't care about what other people felt like. Right. She had entitlement. Right. Right. Huge. Anyway. And so she had, a negative, almost even obsessive emotional focus. Mm-hmm. So throw logic out the window. She lived and you know, quote unquote thrived, what she considered mm-hmm. to be thriving, thrived in that back emotional part of the brain. And mm-hmm. that's how she lived her life. And at least from what I saw every week when I saw her. <laughs> anyway, and so, but it was, it was all, it was almost obsessive how much she cared about her emotions and thought about how her feelings were hurt or how she wasn't being recognized. And so it was, it was, it was such a problem. And everyone around her was like, Oh my goodness, get over it. Well, emotional entitlement. The thing is, is the emotion, emotional entitlement is a really big issue in our society nowadays, and it's steering children way off course. And so we do have to address it. A lot of people feel like that is how you get to the heart of a matter is you go toward the emotional. Um, And actually, if we remember, right, what is the emotional connected to our bodies? Okay. It can be chemical feelings based, but that is not necessarily where we hit the heart because the heart is where we hit the truth. So one of the things that prevents heart change is a person can't recognize the truth. And when they can't recognize the truth and they start focusing, like you said, over obsessing on emotions and stuff like that, then they start controlling other people. So that's another thing that prevents heart changes when someone's controlling. Okay. And, and oftentimes there's this, just like, I don't want to change. I don't want to change, you know, and it makes it so that people feel 
actually they feel stuck with their problem and, and they want somebody else to take their, their problem away from them when really it's them that needs to start taking action. So when people are in a hard-hearted situation, they're dealing with someone who with a hard heart, they're struggling with that. What do most people do, Paige? So usually when people have a hard heart, um, kind of like I mentioned, people tend to react emotionally. Um, they take no thought for looking at a situation logically and they just react either with instant anger or, um, you know, outbursts or, um, stuff like that, but they don't, they don't think it through. They use their emotions to process everything. Mm -hmm. Totally. They react emotionally, which then means we just now had one person in bondage that now perpetuated another person in emotional bondage. And now everybody is group of people. Yeah. Right. And now everybody's dumping on everybody else and pouring out all of their emotional stuff. How is this going to help us? You think you have one person who goes, Hey, that's not okay. I don't appreciate that. Then everyone else is thinking, Oh my gosh this, this is the fifth time she's done this today, you know, during Mm -hmm. this rehearsal, going back to my same situation. And, you know, so now everyone's thinking emotionally and now they're going to, um, emote differently and act differently based on what they're feeling. Yeah. So what people have a tendency to do is they end up focusing on that misbehavior and how that misbehavior affected them right? So they start creating a narrative or a story with this misbehavior. And then they totally miss the, wait, what should I be teaching here? How could I improve the bond here? Because those are things that that person might need a bond, might need some understanding, might need some teaching, but you've got to get them to a place where they're ready to receive it, which means your approach probably needs to be different than just making a list of all the offenses that that person has made against you. And so many times people will emotionally detach. They first emotionally react and then they emotionally detach. They put the list, the offense on the list of offenses that they've been building up for a long time. And they go, that person is beyond hope. I'm just, you know, and they just don't want to deal with it because it's going to take more time. They're not even convinced the person could change because they keep doing it. Well, and then they you know, repel, they repel any sort of positive connection they could have had with that person. Yeah, that's true. And so anyway, then they end up, you know, just missing the whole mark altogether. So I would say another thing that people do is they pass up the teaching moments because it takes time. It takes calmness. It takes the parent getting ready to have the moment with the child, you know, or one spouse taking the time. Okay. Am I ready? Am I calm? You know, let's get, let's focus on the bond that we need to get back to and the the truth that we need to find instead of just on the feeling and the misbehavior. We've got to get past that. Super important. Okay, so oftentimes parents, when they get stuck in this what most people do thing, get stuck there because like you mentioned, they don't live up to their role or their responsibility. So why is it that a parent does not want to connect and bond, why is it that they don't understand their role and who they're supposed to be? The biggest one by far is that it takes a lot of time Mm -hmm. and deliberate Mm -hmm. time and deliberate action. 
So true. And they have to say, okay, wait a minute. I'm the parent. This is all me. I've got to like work on this. I can't just pass the buck and, and just blame my child and say, well, my child's ruined, but they did it to themselves. You know? Yeah. Because emotional reaction is just like, well, it happens when it happens, how it happens. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to plan ahead for it. So cool. Let's just do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So how can we fix this? The answer should not be a shock to anybody on this podcast, but just in case you want to try to get shocked, the answer is <laughs> teaching self-government TSG. Okay. No. Yes. <laughs> teaching self-government communication is different. It is different. And so what we're going to do is we're going to share six principles for a heart changed home. Okay. So if we want everyone in the home to have a heart change, which would be the goal of the self-government family, then what can we do? We're going to share six principles with you. It is super important that you understand that a principle is not the same as a rule. Okay. And I know we've had probably other podcasts about rules and principles before, I think. And so you can look those up, but it is not the same. Principles are broadly applicable. They are eternal or forever. They apply to every circumstance. Rules are not the same. They can be changed at any time. They often are changed at any time. Think speed limits, laws, you know, regarding helmets and bicycles and whatever and all the things, okay? Those are just rules. Even though there's probably a principle in there somewhere, the principle does not change, but the rules can. So we're talking about principles today. What principles mm-hmm. we need to focus on? Oh, I give you number one because I just yes. talked about it. Yes. So Paige, <laughs> let's, what is the first principle of a heart change? So I just mentioned it, but the first principle is you have to have a deliberate plan for relationship and bonding outcomes. So you have to even plan like your certain skills to solve different problems. If you have a plan in place, then you don't have to depend on your emotional reaction. In fact, you can... Um, kind of disregard that altogether as your processing system. We don't disregard our emotions at all, just to make that clear. Those are Mm -hmm. very important and still necessary. But the difference is when you have a plan in place and the skills you need to solve pretty much any problem that's going to come your way is you don't have to use those emotions to process the situation. You can acknowledge that they are there and that they are valid, but you use your logic and your plan to assess and process the situation. Yes. C.S. Lewis says that the brain is a puppet. Okay. So our mind or our brain voice is a puppet, which means we can program it. It also means anybody else can program it. So be careful. (laughs) Anyway, but but yeah. But your body voice can program it. Your heart voice can program it. Your brain voice can, you know, just create its own stuff there. But your habits are all formed there. So what you're saying is when you make a deliberate plan for that relationship and bonding outcome that you want as a family, when you create a vision for where you're headed as a family, then you actually are telling yourself, this is what I believe. This is what I believe about who I am in my family. And this is where I'm headed. And if I ever find myself not headed in that direction, then I will stop myself and course correct in this way. And then you mentioned even having a plan for certain skills. Well, these are going to be skills that you're going to use to fix yourself along the way. You're going to say, guess what, self? That is an instruction. So you will look at the situation, the person or situation, keep a calm face, voice, and body, do it, and then check back with yourself. 
you will follow through or guess what self that's a no answer so you need to stay calm and drop the subject that's what a person does when they are deliberately working on their skills and wanting that deliberate plan for the relationship and bonding outcome so so if you say to yourself okay I want to bond deliberately with this person. It is going to take, in order to have a change of heart, it's going to also take a change of mind. This is important. Your belief system, your belief in who you are, your belief in who the other person is, your belief in where you're going, and your belief in the skills that you're going to use to get there, they're all going to have to change. So that means you're going to have to use heart and Mm -hmm. brain and then body. And this is outside of the realm of just parenting too. I know recently I had a massive mind and heart change when it came to my physical activities and my eating habits because I realized I had a problem. And so I'm like, okay, well, because of this bigger goal that I want, right? I had a vision for my future because of this bigger goal, I recognize that I need to change some things about my physical appearance and my physical habits. And so I made a plan. I said, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to stick to it. Because I've seen that other people have had success with it. And so I'm going to try it too. And I have. I've seen lots of success. And it's because my mind and my heart are dedicated to a bigger picture. And I have a plan. And I have the skills that I need. So you actually started believing something different about who you were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I changed a, a part of my identity. And the, the part that I changed in case this is helpful for anyone else. Because it probably is. But my <laughs> the piece of my identity that I said... And part of my identity, I said, I have, I have a massive sweet tooth. That was the piece of my identity that I changed. And now Mm -hmm. I say, I am, I am a recovering sweet tooth addict, (laughs) (laughs) sugar addict. Right. And so I say, I used to be a massive sweet tooth person. I -hmm. still enjoy my sweets, but I now have the mental fortitude and skills or self-government that I need to say, oh, you know, Five Oreos right now would be great, but guess what? I only need one. And technically, I don't even need one, but I'll have just one and then I'll be okay. There you go. And you'll enjoy that. Oh, you'll be like, yes, I will. I'll make I'm like 10 bites this. out of that thing. <laughs> exactly. You'll love it, right? Exactly. So, the power of having a plan and having skills. And boy, do we ever have skills for you at teaching self government. That's what we're, we love That's giving what we're skills. All about helping people use systems to change their habits. And so definitely find more at teachingselfgovernment.com about that. Okay. So let's talk about the second principle. The second principle is to respond according to the plan, right? So you respond calmly with that logical plan in mind when things go wrong. So then you stick to it basically. You stick to it. Point two, stickity tooity. Okay. <laughs> That's what you do. So, and you take advantage of these moments where you're going to do a course correction, which is a very self governed thing to do in order to grow closer to each other. So, did you know that you should feel closer to your child during and after a correction than you even did before? That is absolutely possible. So these teaching moments, these corrections, instructions, pre-teaching, praising, even when a person is completely out of instructional control, if you handle it correctly, if you are calm, you follow through with the deliberate plan that you made, 
you actually stick to it and, and show that you have integrity in your follow through, then you will experience a change of heart, which will lead to them experiencing a change of heart. And even if you're correcting something, you can actually end up improving your relationship instead of the opposite. And I think many people think that every correction has to lead to a, a disagreement, but it doesn't. Or Not someone feeling hurt or feeling punished. Feeling bad. Yeah. Like they're a bad person. Yeah. In fact, just like that. an example, um, actually just now corrected Clara. She came up to me while we were, you know, talking about this and she's like, mommy, hold me, you know, with her arms up. And I said, oh, I'm going to give you a no answer. No, mommy can't hold you right now because she's, you know, she's talking and teaching. And she said, oh, which is her. Okay. Yeah. She's got it backwards. With her toys. I know it's okay. It's so cute. (laughs) She went, she went, oh, and then I said, Kate, now go get one of your toys. And she went, oh, and just went and played with her toys. I'm like, wow, I love this. <laughs> she already knows what a no answer is. She knows she can say, okay, or uh-oh to it. Yeah. <laughs> she says, uh-oh, when things drop and uh-oh, when she's saying, okay, it's so cute. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So being calm is a big part of this. So you knowing your own self-government is going to be a big part of the heart change, which means you have to be working on your own heart change at the same time. Okay, let's talk about principle number three. So principle number three is we need to know why. Okay, so focus on the why. Why did this circumstance happen? Why do we need to have a teaching moment about this? It is very short-sighted of parents to not explain why to their children. Now, I know some parent out there is going, no, I've got nine. I cannot explain why all the time or I will never stop talking. I didn't say you had to have a big, huge, long discussion, but you do need to explain why. Well, let's see. We don't throw our food on the ground because then someone could slip on the food or we don't throw our food on the ground because then we won't have any clean food to eat. Right. So just little whys or other things like, um, you know, we don't hit other people because then those people don't want to be with us. They, they don't want to, they don't trust being with us anymore. They need to know why that's important. And you know what we also need to do is we also need to get into, let's see, you just hit another person. Why did that happen? What was the thought that went through your head? What was the feeling that you had before that thought went through your head? What could you have done instead of that? Now there's a process that we have called SODAs. It's a learning exercise, a problem solving exercise that stands for situation, options, disadvantages, advantages, solution. It's a really great thing for helping a person understand why do I do that? And is there another option that I could have had? But getting to the why is important. And sometimes it can take a few minutes to analyze patterns and outcomes, but the parent and the child should both understand why they behaved the way they did. If they just do it on autopilot, they're going to fall into trouble. But if they know why, then they can deliberately make sure that those interactions can actually make the hearts soft. If we're analyzing ourselves, that's actually a place of honesty that we're coming from. And then we can have more of a soft heart. So that's going to lead to a heart change. All right. So Paige, about that heart, what is number four principle? 
Number four is discuss the condition of your heart. So you have, you have to be able to open, open up and talk about where your heart is. Mm-hmm. It's so important because then when you're able to do that, you're able to see what needs to be fixed and what might need to be discussed at a later date. Mm-hmm. And that way you have a deeper connection. I know when I, there have been times where, you know, maybe I felt a little lonely or maybe I felt overwhelmed about things. And I know I'm recognizing I have so much to do. And I'm like, hmm, I feel like my husband, Joseph could do more, <laughs> you know? And I'm ah. like, hey, honey, let's, let's sit down and have a talk, you know, cause maybe I don't quite fully understand your condition of heart. You know, mm-hmm. maybe I'm jumping to some conclusions that maybe are a little misplaced, right? Mm-hmm. Because of and your so, overwhelm, mm-hmm. you're right, processing right. them inaccurately. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, you know, maybe my mental capacity is just stretched to its limits and I'm like, whoa, anyway. And so there've been times where I've had to say, okay, let's sit down and talk. And I say, Joseph, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling very overwhelmed because, you know, I'm going through school. We're doing all sorts of other things. I have more work responsibility, all that jazz. And also there's a sink of dirty dishes that I haven't done for three days because I mentally cannot do it. Right. And there are toys all over the floor and, you know, I can barely focus on keeping our child fed with everything else that I have going on. Especially right? when she won't eat this little one. She needs to eat she silly picky. girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we try anyway. Yeah. But, and he says, Oh, I had no idea. And then he says, would it be helpful if I came home every day from work and I made dinner instead of you worrying about it. And I did a load of dishes before bed. And then when I woke up, you know, maybe I'll wake up 10 minutes earlier and do another load of dishes before I go to work in the morning. I say, oh yeah, that would be so helpful. You mm-hmm. know, and then he says, okay, good. I I didn't actually recognize that that needed to happen. I thought, you know, you were just taking care of it. I'm like, oh, oh, you thought wrong, but thank you for telling me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you had a good open discussion about it, yeah, about where your heart was and what your, what your needs were. It is important. I, I remember so many times um, when you guys were little that I would just say to you, you know, where is your heart right now? Because so you could gauge it, you know, cause we talked about, well, do we have a good feeling of connection right now? Do we have a good heart condition of heart right now? Where is it right now? And so it could be helpful for a family to have kind of a thermometer, like a gauge where it's like, okay, so, you know, on the heart softness scale, if one is soft and 10 is totally hard hearted, selfish right now, I'm like at a seven. I got to do some medium rare and one is way well overdone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so if you just have this like gauge where, you know, your condition of heart, you know, where you're at and when your heart feels soft and connected and caring about other people and when it's feeling selfish and not and hard hearted, have those conversations with each other. Like, Hey, where is your heart right now? Do we need to talk about something? Because you don't seem okay. You know, those types of things are going to be way better than just constantly harping on like, Hey, you have an attitude. Hey, you're, you're not helping out around here. You're not, because that's just going to lead to more disconnection. So it is going to be a good idea for people to have good open discussions. All right. So let's talk about principle number five. So I love this one. This might be one of my favorite, but principle number five is to make your home a forgive and forget home. That's so important. It go. Yeah. Or in teaching self-government terms. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, or in teaching self-government terms, drop 
the subject. You know, don't <laughs> keep thinking when somebody does something that you don't like, which is going to happen probably every other day, maybe even every day, depending on how many people live there, it's going to happen. So then don't take it personal. Mm-hmm. Forgive, forget, decide once we've talked about this, it's over. Or once I've said, oh, this is what's happened. And now here's how I'm going to handle it. It's over. Stop talking about it. Yeah. And that can be hard, especially if you're a very strong, you know, stubborn, strong-willed, stubborn person such as myself. And, you know, on my mind, I actually tend to remember lots of random details about things and lots of things about people's lives. You know, I'm the type of person I'm very good with names, very good with dates, stuff like that. And so I can remember, you know, there was a time where I wrote out all of my responsibilities and how long it was supposed to take and how many hours I had in a week and how many hours I was supposed to be required to do all my stuff. And it didn't match up, but then I did it to Joseph's and he had 40 extra hours a week. I'm like, excuse me, you know? And so, but then we talked about it and yes, I still remember the experience, but it's not like I bring it up, you know, in his face. And I say, Hey, you remember that time, you know, you're doing it again. No. Yeah. I remember it, but I go, well, we talked about it. We've changed. We've become better people. So sweet. Let's go. When you have the skills you need and when you deliberately choose not to take another person's behavior personally, whether it be your spouse or your child. Which you did do when you were making your list, to be quite clear. I did. I did. That was, I mean, it was a, it was a, an exercise to see where your time was going, but soon you started comparing to him and then you started devaluing him in your own heart as far as like what he was giving versus what you were giving. And then you got a little selfish and then you kind of came, and you kind of came after him and then you had to go, wait, my bad, (laughs) not the right. I will also say the math helped him a lot to see what was going on anyway well that's but, um, good yeah so but you know we had that experience but it's it's done now you know we're new people we've changed we've become different and I think that's what's really important is you can't dwell on the past I've heard so many stories of wives or husbands who they they will make a list on their phone of all the things that their spouse has done and they'll just mull over it you know they'll have that obsessive emotional hard-heartedness self you know against it and, you know, we've been counseled by so many people, just let it go, delete the list, have yeah. a good, you know, open-minded talk about it and then let it go. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's actually healthy It is because looking over a list of things somebody else did wrong, A, doesn't help them improve a thing. So they're going to keep making mistakes and it just makes you disconnect from them. It hurts your relationship. So it makes your life feel bad. So why would you go around trying to make your own life feel bad? That makes no sense. All right. So let's move on to principle six. Principle six is have it be understood that unless the hearts are in the fat are right, So have it be understood that unless the hearts in the family are right, that you will not move on in other activities. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. So let's say that everybody in the home is stressed trying to get out the door to church. Grab that, grab that, grab that. We got to be there. We got to do this. You know, whether you're the pastor or the bishop's family or not, or whatever, it doesn't matter. You don't go if the family does not have soft hearts, if the family is not connected. If you've got to like hold off hyperventilation on the way to the church because of stress, why are you going there anyway? Okay. So there was a time one time when I know I've shared this, you know, multiple times before, but this is the most vivid example. It's just such 
cut and dry to the point, but we were going to Walmart as a family one night and in the town where I live, there's hardly anywhere to go besides Walmart, at least back in the day, that was definitely the case. Anyway. And so we were going to the Walmart. We're all in the car. We get literally around the corner from our house and the children are fighting over seatbelts and whose buckle is who and who's touching who. And I thought, I cannot go to Walmart like this. This is not okay. Our family should be a light. We should be a good example when we're off places and we're not going to be bringing a good feeling with us. We're going to be bringing a selfish feeling with us wherever we're going. So I pulled over and I said, you guys, do you feel that? Do you feel that feeling that we have right now? And there was a pause. And then somebody said, yeah. And I said, our family does not have a good spirit right now. You know, we felt hard hearted. And I said, we've got to fix this. And then one of my children pipes up from the back seat. We should sing a song. So I said, yeah, we should sing a song because singing can sometimes bring a feeling of unity, right? Then our family loves singing together. So we said a prayer, sing to sing to song, sang a song. We said a prayer, sang a song, and then we talked about um what we should have done instead and how to solve our problems. And then everybody was so happy and so connected. And then we moved on, went to the store, and it was a great experience. In fact, because we fixed the circumstance, and I want you to think of this, just check mark it, put it as high priority. When you fix a circumstance the right way, it actually makes the, the hearts even softer than they were before. So if you want to have heart change, keep fixing things. It's like and the Grinch. Right he fixed the problem the right way and his heart grew three sizes. I know. <laughs> I love the Grinch and his little dog. Oh my goodness, Max. Max. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Poor little Max. He's just like, I don't know what's happening to me, but here we are. <laughs> no, it just like made me think the of that. Ultimate though, but... victim. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he fixed the problem the right way. I mean, of course, he caused the problem in the first place, but he, you know, his heart. But he's self corrected. Yeah. And the thing is, is the people, because the people weren't unkind, they could have stormed his mountain. They could have come chasing after him with pitchforks and, you know, pointy sleds or whatever they were going to do. Okay. But instead <laughs> they didn't do that. Instead, what they did was they sang in unity they and they held hands uh, around the Christmas have- tree. They held hands and they sang. And so there was this definite message that they were giving to each other. Like we have each other and that's all we need. And when he saw that, he realized he had no one. Mm-hmm. And he and needed he them. Done a boo-boo. Yeah, he needed them. And mm-hmm. so he, Herculean, lifted up that sleigh <laughs> and went down, brought it all back to everybody else. How beautiful. How beautiful that change of heart story is. I mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. And now I'm having remorse that I don't know if I saw the Grinch this year for Christmas. <laughs> well, My goodness. You can always repent. Watch it on uh, St. Patty's Day or something. He's Exactly. I, I think I might have to watch it just randomly, <laughs> monthly. I love that story. I, I appreciate the reminder on that. You know, Paige, it's been so fun talking about changing hearts. It really does start with our own heart. Our children want to have their hearts knit with ours. They want that safety and that 
that comfort, that acceptance and wisdom and love. They want all of that. They don't want to feel alone and isolated and putting up walls and not being able to talk to anybody. But sometimes what we what we do is we make the mistake of just continuing to push on and try to force a heart change when in reality, we need to make sure that we're creating that environment where heart change can really happen. We need the skills. We need those tone elements. We need to know how to change our own hearts. And you know what? I have a special gift for everybody who's on here. I have something called a Calm Parenting Toolkit. And right now, if you go to teachingselfgovernment.com right now, if you've never done the Calm Parenting Toolkit, it is free on the homepage right now. And it is 10 tools for calmness for yourself and to help other people. It's not going to be the full Teaching Self-Government course. You're not going to learn all the skills and everything. But it's a really good start. It's a really good start and it will help you get on that calmness track so that you can start having the heart change that you need so that you can help them have the heart change that they need too. So I hope we will see you there on that Calm Parenting Toolkit. Thank you for joining us today on the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. We will see you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.